today is the first Sunday, however, during the season of Lent. Uh, many of you were able to come out this past Wednesday and uh, celebrate and mark uh, Ash Wednesday, which is the start of the Lenten season. And it is the 40 days leading up to Easter Sunday. And most of you know that Lent is a time of reflection. It's a time of repentance, a time of releasing things in your life. And specifically, it's a kind of a time when you let go of what you need to let go of, and you take hold of what you really need to take hold of spiritually in your life. Now, the 40 days of Lent, as you know, probably coincide with the 40 days Jesus spent in the wilderness prior to beginning his public ministry. And the wilderness is a very, very important place in Scripture. Not only did Jesus spend a significant time in the wilderness, uh, there are many biblical characters that did as well. Some of you remember a guy named Elijah. He retreated to the wilderness when he was going through a kind of a depressed state in his life. David, uh, King David, ran for his life and lived in the wilderness uh, among caves and different things for a period of time. And then over in the New Testament, there's a guy named John the Baptist who is known as the voice crying out in the wilderness. It is a place, the wilderness is, where we all end up in life. Eventually, all of us will spend some time there. And the wilderness is often a place of uncertainty. It can be a place of confusion. It can be a place of hardship. It's often a place of frustration and brokenness. It can be a place of both life on one hand and death on the other. Discovery on one hand, loss on another. Strength on one hand and yet great weakness on the other. So for the next few weeks leading up to Easter Sunday in April, we're going to travel through the wilderness together. And I think it's going to be a really fascinating journey because we're going to discover some very important things about God, about ourselves, and really about the wilderness itself. Now to help us on this journey, we're actually going to spend time with a group of people and a leader who are kind of experts in wilderness experience. They've spent more time there than any other person or group of people in Scripture. I'm talking about, of course, Moses and the people of Israel. We have so much to learn from them, so we're just going to jump right in here in the first week. And I want to talk for a second about this whole thing of finding God, even in our wilderness experience. Most of you will remember that Moses was raised in the house of Pharaoh. He was given the best education, the finest things money could buy, but somewhere along the line, Moses began to discover that he had a different identity in life. And he sensed this pull toward his people, the Israelites. You remember the story where Moses one day as a young man kills an Egyptian, kind of in a fit of anger, and he retreats and flees from Egypt. He is now a fugitive, a murderer, and he flees to the wilderness, and there he meets an interesting guy by the name of Jethro. Jethro has several daughters, and he marries one of those daughters. He starts a family, and he goes from life in Pharaoh's palace in Egypt, full of promise and potential, to now a fugitive in the wilderness. And the dream of God in his life looks very bleak. But as often happens, God is not through with Moses yet. 
just as he is not through with anyone in this room. And just like we find out from the New Testament, God calls every follower and God calls Moses during this time of his life. And just like a lot of us, Moses resists the call. What we're going to see as we look through the third and fourth chapters of the book of Exodus is we're going to see God show up in Moses' life and Moses is going to give God five objections. Five reasons that he can't follow God in the wilderness. What we're going to find out is that we many times kind of mirror those objections to God ourselves. Here's the way the story goes. Moses was keeping his flock the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why this bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then God said, Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Many of you have heard that passage before. And then God continues on, a very important statement. He says, The cry of the Israelites has come now to me. I have seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So now go. I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you, that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. Let me begin with one of the most profound statements I think about the human condition that you will ever hear. You've heard it before, I'm sure. I heard it first from a guy that I've always respected from the first time I met him. He's a guy who loves to sail. He's in tremendous physical condition. He eats unbelievably healthy food, though you probably can't get your kids to eat it. His name is Popeye. <laughs> Popeye the sailor man. And if you remember Popeye when he was sad and when he made a mistake or when he was uh, given a tax that he didn't feel like he was quite capable of, he would always say the same thing. Do you remember what he would say? He would say, I am what I am. I am what I am. And that's all that I am. He was really convinced of his inadequacy, so he would say that oftentimes. In other words, don't get your hopes up too much. See, he wasn't a sophisticated guy, Popeye. He wasn't into therapy. He didn't know much about his inner child or his shadow self. He wasn't very educated. He was just kind of a pipe-smoking, tattoo-wearing, seafaring sailor man. I am what I am. That's all that I am. Now, this is kind of the sad lament of the human race. I think about my own life. I think that I'm called to speak words of truth and life on a regular basis, yet oftentimes, I use those same exact words to deceive people or manipulate them. I'm called, just like you are, to do justice, but sometimes I turn my eyes to oppression. I get occupied and preoccupied with my own agenda. And God comes to Moses, just like he does to each person in this room, 
and we think about our own life, and we think how inadequate we are, and all we say to God, whether we say it outwardly or inwardly, we say, I am what I am, God. That's all that I am. What I want you to know today is if you walk in a wilderness or you don't walk in a wilderness, either way, you are not just I am what I am. You're going to have to find another response in your life because as we see from the story, Moses says it, but God doesn't accept it. We're going to get to his first objection in a moment, but I want you to see what Moses does right. This is super huge. He has now for 40 years been in the wilderness. 40 years earlier, he had his shot in life, and now it's gone. And now as he's tending a flock, he sees a fire in a bush, and it's not burned up. So the verse says, the passage says, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. I want you to think about this phrase, turn aside, for just a moment. Nobody forced Moses to turn aside. He comes upon an ordinary bush, but for a moment, this bush becomes extraordinary. The reason it becomes extraordinary is because God would meet him there. Now, Moses could have kept going. He could have paid attention to the sheep. And if he would have kept going, he would have missed out on his call in life. He would have missed out on the exodus. He would have missed out on standing before Pharaoh and said, let my people go. He would have missed on the new community of faith that he would have formed as they went through the wilderness together. He would have missed out on the reason that God put him on this planet. This is very important. One of the most important things you can do when you wind up in the wilderness of your life, when you wind up in a time when you're uncertain and you're confused and things are dry and stale and maybe even feel like they're dead, one of the most important things you can do is to keep looking for God. One of the lies that you will hear often in your mind is that during the wilderness, God has removed himself from you. And the question is, Today, how well will you do at turning aside? When God wants to get your attention, or God wants to speak to you or through you, how well are you at turning aside and listening for his voice? Because as one author has said, every bush is filled with the presence of God. There is not an inch of space, not a moment of time in which God does not inhabit. Sometimes you'll be with a person, you ever have this happen? And you feel this little nudge, this little prompting inside of you to bless them or to pray for them or to encourage them or to say something about them that they need to hear, something good and positive. Sometimes the Spirit is going to prompt you this week. He's going to prompt somebody to write a note, to send an email, to express love, just to turn aside. This week at work, just take five minutes, just five minutes to Turn aside from the busy schedule you have and just spend a moment thinking about what does God want to say to me in this moment? When the Lord saw that he had turned aside, the text says God called up to him out of the bush, Moses, come no closer. Take off your shoes for you are on holy ground. And then God does something marvelous. He lets Moses see his heart. He said, I've seen the misery of my people. I've seen how bad they have it. I've heard their cries. I'm concerned with their suffering. So I have come down to where they are. I'm going to rescue them. 
And I'm going to do it by sending you, Moses. Go. I'm sending you to tell my to take my people out of Egypt, to tell Pharaoh that he will let my people go. Now Moses starts to think about this. Let me make sure I got this correct. I'm a fugitive. 40 years in the wilderness. I killed a guy 40 years ago. I've been fleeing for my life. I'm a fugitive from justice. And I'm going to go to Pharaoh and I'm going to say, Hey, Pharaoh, I'm going to take your labor force. And we're going to walk out the door and we're not going to let it hit us in the back end. Now you can understand why Moses might have a little bit of an objection. He's trying to figure out, how do I follow God? How do I be obedient and still live? Here's his first objection. I love it. He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? In other words, what if the people don't listen? Moses says, I'm real slow of speech. Here's what Moses does. Moses says, here am I, send Aaron. That's kind of what we do, right? Here am I, send somebody else. It's very ironic. I can hear Moses in his heart saying, you know, God, if you had come to me 40 years ago, <laughs> I was young, I was strong, I was educated, I had power, I even had status. Pharaoh loved me. And now I'm just a broken down shepherd in the wilderness. I am what I am. I am what I am. And God says to Moses what God is going to say to you and to me throughout this series. What he said to a million other Moseses just like us. I know who you are and it does not matter to me. For I am going to be with you. Your sin, your guilt, your shortcomings, all those things that are true about you. Listen, you yam what you yam, but you yam not yet what you yam going to be. <laughs> Try saying that five times fast. From this day on, God says, I'm going to be with you. And what Moses gets here is the first promise of grace that we see. I'm going to be with you, Moses. You're going to have the grace of God in your life. I don't care what mistakes you've made, what things you've done or haven't done. I know you think that it's just I am what I am, but that is not the truth about you, Moses. And if you're in this room today and you feel inadequate and you feel wounded and you feel hurt and you feel lost, you're in a great place because this is when God shows up and says, I know who you are. I know who you are. And I know who I am. I'm here. Moses says, I can't do it. Doesn't make any difference who you are. God says, I'm going to go with you. So Moses comes up with a second objection. And this is kind of interesting. Instead of saying, who I am, who am I? He then looks at God and he says, who are you? <laughs> God says, I'll go with you. Moses says, well, who are you? Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? Now, when God asks for a name for God, he's not just looking for a piece of information like a label. A name in Scripture, a name in the Old Testament is much deeper than that. A name had to do with someone's character. 
He's asking here about God's character, about God's intentions. In other words, Moses is saying, okay, will I have access to you? Will I, you be responsive to me? Will I have power? Will I hear you know, prayers answered? Will you actually listen to me? It's kind of like in our day if you had the private phone number of a very famous person. It just kind of cuts through all the layers of bureaucracy. You have direct access to them. Moses says, am I going to have direct access to you or is the line always going to be busy, God? And in verse 14, God says this great statement. He says to Moses, I am who I am. He pronounces this great name. And people have devoted their lives to exploring the mystery of the name of God. But at least part of what it means is what God goes on to say in verse 15. He says, this is what you shall say to the Israelites. The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. That's who I am. I am the God who sees them and sees the misery of my children. When they didn't think anybody was looking and paying attention. When they were groaning and they didn't think anyone was listening. When you were hidden in the reeds, you know, as a little baby. And you thought you were by yourself, Moses. I'm that God. I'm the God who is now in the wilderness in a burning bush telling you, you will be my servant. I'm the God of the manger and I'm the God of the cross. So lift up your head, Moses. I am who I am. This becomes a defining moment in the history of God's dealing with the human race. God says, I want to be known. I want you to know me by my name. In other words, God wants you to grow in the knowledge of him. Think about this. Think about all the names for God in Scripture. Think about all the different ways that the Bible uses uh, words to express the name of God. Just think about one name. Just one. Just think about if God is your rock. Let's just use one. For a day, think what it would be like for God to be your rock. When you feel nervous and anxious and shaky and worried, and you just pause and you reflect that God is the bedrock beneath you. That the scriptures say that he is the rock, my salvation, of whom shall I be afraid? He says, Moses says, who am I? And God says, I'm going to let you live in grace, Moses. But secondly, if you want to know who I am, just pick a name. I'm going to be with you. And then Moses gets to a third objection, which is kind of strange. God says, go to the people. Tell them that it's time to leave. And in chapter 4, Moses answers and says, suppose they don't believe me or listen to me, but say the Lord did not appear to you. What do I do then? I mean, they could do that. And the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And then God said, throw it on the ground. So Moses takes his staff, which he uses as a shepherd, and he throws it on the, on the ground. And most of you know the story. It becomes a serpent. It's generally translated serpent. Serpents were worshipped in Egypt. They were considered poisonous, very lethal, highly dangerous. And his staff turns into a snake. 
And I love the next line from the story. It's like the writer just understates it. Understates it. He just says, and Moses drew back from it. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Now let me ask you, how many of you in this room are pro-snake? Who's pro-snake? How many of you are anti-snake? Yeah. That's what I thought. I have a friend who uh, actually attends regularly and is part of reptile shows. They travel around the country. Big reptile shows. And I asked him about this. I said, listen, on the odd chance that you're going to pick up a poisonous snake, where do you want to be sure to grab it? I mean, if you had to do it, where do you want to grab it? You know what he said? He said, you want to grab it right behind the head. Because if you pick it up by the tail, unless you know the snake really, really well, <laughs> it exposes you to the snake's fangs. See, what this story is about, this part of the story, it's about trust. The writer writes this very artfully. He uses two different verbs here. In verse 4, he says, reach out your hand and seize it by the tail. And this is like a real calm verb. It's like, you know, picking up a glass of water or, uh, you know, spectacles to read something with. Just lay hold of something. But then he uses a totally different verb when he says, so Moses reaches out his hand and grabs it. It's more like snatching it. Can you imagine that moment when Moses snatches the end of that tail and it turns back into a staff? And Moses is like, oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> thank you, Lord. I knew it the whole time. I knew it. <laughs> God says, what's that in your hand, Moses? He then goes on and he makes Moses' hand leprous. Remember this? And then he restores his hand. And what God is saying here, I think, is that, Moses, listen, you only need a few possessions. Take the staff that you used to herd sheep. Take your hand that's part of the body I gave to you and give them to me. And if you will just give me what's in your hand, Moses, we are going to do some amazing things together. You don't have to trust me perfectly, but just trust me enough, Moses, to give me what's in your hand. When you walk through the wilderness, all you have to do is give God what you have in your hands. A few loaves, a couple of fish, and you can feed 5,000. Five talents, they can become 10. Two talents can become four. A little seed bears fruit a hundredfold. God says, don't worry about what you can't give. Just give me access to whatever you have. To some of you who are in a wilderness today, some of you who are trying to give to a parking lot, to some of you who are trying to budget and make ends meet, to some of you who are walking through that, all I would say to you is, what's in your hand? Some of you have a home, and you've never, ever thought about opening up your home as a gift of hospitality to someone. Some of you have a home that you could just open up for a life group to meet there on a weekly basis. Some of you have the ability to cook just to pull down some food and to cook for someone who's been in need or maybe in the hospital or maybe going through a tough time. Some of you have possessions, maybe clothes or maybe a car or some other form of transportation that you could bless someone with. God is just saying to you, what's in your hand? 
Will you just trust me? Now you would think at this point that Moses would be ready to sign on. I mean, the story paints him as a very, very fallible, fallible human person. But he has a fourth objection. Listen to this. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor even now that you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And then God asked some questions that are very, very difficult for Moses to argue with. Then the Lord said to him, Who gives speech to mortals? Who makes them mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what to speak. In other words, I will put the power of my spirit on you, Moses, and you will be gifted to speak prophetic words for the sake of my people. In other words, where do you think your mouth came from, Moses? You like think there's like a mouth or us store? Your mouth was my creation. I didn't make a mistake with you. What you see here is this amazing, the beginning of this amazing community. Eventually it will be renewed in what we know as the church. But it's kind of foretaste of this amazing community where there will be spiritual gifts given to people. Moses will have ability beyond himself. This is so awesome to me. Some of you are here today and you don't even realize what resources and special abilities and God-given spiritual gifts you have. I'll just ask you, these days, are you on the playing field? You know the old analogy? Far too many churches are like a football game. 50,000 people who desperately need exercise watching 22 players who desperately need to rest. That's not the way his church is supposed to work. You will be amazed at how using whatever God has gifted you will feed your spirit, listen, and will help you walk through the wilderness of your life. What has God gifted you to do? So Moses has his objection. He says, I'm not adequate. I am what I am. God says, that's okay. I'm going to gift you. I will operate your mouth for you if I have to. Now you would think at this point that that would be enough. Moses says, I am what I am. God says, that's okay. I know. I've got grace. He goes, yeah, but what about you, God? Can I trust you? He says, I am who I am. (laughs) You can trust me. He says, just use what's in your hand, Moses. Just use. Just make it available to me. I'll use it. I'll even gift you beyond what you have. I'll even gift you to be able to say things that you didn't even know what you were saying. And he hears all this, and Moses still says to him, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Now, you can't really blame God on this one. He gets a little testy at this point. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And even in his anger, the Lord said, What if your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he speaks fluently. And then this wonderful phrase, Even now, Aaron is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, his heart will be glad. After all these objections, and God finally says, okay, listen, you got a brother, right? (laughs) You can do community with him. 
I'm going to give you your brother. Aaron will go with you. Later on, I'll even give you your sister, Miriam. She will be with you. Even now, Aaron is coming. And you're not just going to get to do a job together. You're going to get to do life together. See, this is one of the beautiful things about walking through the wilderness. Is God usually will give you somebody to walk with you. This morning, I'm going to ask you a question very seriously. Who is your Aaron, and who are you being an Aaron to? When you go through a wilderness experience, friends, when there is frustration, and there is that, that sense of loss, and that sense of where is God, it's very important that you find an Aaron who will walk beside you. Moses would come to depend on Aaron, and Aaron would come to depend on Moses, and they would have a lot of ups and a lot of downs, but they would have each other. And believe me, friends, you will need somebody when you go through the wilderness. We're going to continue our journey next week by what happens when you start wandering in the wilderness, when you feel like you're never, ever going to get to the end. But we'll end with this. Moses ends up in the wilderness after 40 years, and God calls him. Moses says, I am what I am, God. And he gives all these objections. And God responds and says, I will not accept excuses, Moses. It's a very interesting thing about this passage. In this story, you will find out what happened to Moses, and you will find out what happened to the children of Israel. You will find out what happened to Pharaoh, and you will find out what happened to his soldiers. You will never find out what happened to the burning bush. And the reason is because I think it's still burning. I still think to this day God is waiting for people to turn aside. Maybe some of you right now to think for a moment about the objections that Moses offered and consider if maybe, maybe you're dealing with one of those objections yourself. Think about the objections in your wilderness today. My Father, I pray now that our heart could be turned. May we sense you come close to us just like you did to Moses, your servant. And may in our wilderness today we find you May we turn aside long enough to see the burning bush and to see that you still have a use for us. You still have purpose for us. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.